electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, this record-setting market, what 2021 will deliver for your money. That is, of course, the big question. So much to discuss and debate with our investment committee, as always. And joining me for the hour today, Joe Terranova, Pete Nigerian, Steve Weiss, Shannon Sakosha is the Chief Investment Officer at Boston Private Wealth, and Degas Wright is the Chief Investment Officer of Decatur Capital Management. Nice to see everybody. Stock setting another record off the open today, extending what has been a remarkable run. All things considered, if I told anybody where we would be now, where we were in March, Nobody probably would have believed that. There we are, green across the board. Dow's good for 144, S&P for a little more than 11. That's a third of a percent. The Nasdaq's up today, as is the Russell, with a nice bounce back after a really rough session just a day ago. Joe, so the big question, you know we always sort of take the lay of the land, talk about what the state of stocks uh, is, how much juice is left in the rally. That's, that's a big question on the mind of people. You've got virus cases going up. You've got vaccine rollout slower than expected. What's on the flip side of that? A lot of optimism about what 2021 is going to bring. As Ed Hyman, Joe, the famed uh, Ed Hyman said the other day on the network, there's just so much stimulus in the system. So set the, set, set the stage for us for 2021. It's the big question on everybody's mind. I, I share in the optimism and uh, I, I would say it's, it's almost as if when I'm managing my portfolio, I'm the head coach of a basketball team I feel very confident that my team is going to win, but I'm not sure how I'm going to really distribute the minutes. I'm going to distribute those minutes as we begin to play. I've got five players out on the court, and each one of them can be an all-star. So I'm very focused in my actions recently in making sure that I'm gaining exposure to equities, not just in my favorite sectors, which would be technology or healthcare. But I'm finding opportunities in industrials. I added Cintas recently. I'm finding opportunities even in real estate. I'm looking at a name, PLD, which is Prologis. I've added two energy names recently, as you know, Scott. So I am making sure that I am incredibly diversified within my equity exposure because I don't think the S&P 500 in 2021 from a performance standpoint is going to look as bifurcated as it looked in 2020. Let me just finish with this last point. You've got 10 stocks in the S&P that were up triple digits in 2020. You have 200 stocks in the S&P in 2020 that are actually down year to date. I just can't see that we're going to see that type of formation in 2021. So uh, I just want to ensure that I've got exposure across all 11 sectors. All right, Steve Weiss, I'm going to stay with Joe's analogy because I like it. Are you going to feed the ball to, to the big man, so to speak? Are you going to go to tech? Because NASDAQ was the big man. 
Nasdaq's up 43% this year, yeah. on pace now, according to Bespoke. I had a double take here. Nasdaq's on pace for back-to-back 40-plus -back percent years. That's the first time since 1999. Now, granted, in 1998 and 99, we were talking about 70-plus percent gains, gains for tech. Where are you going to give the ball, Steve? Well, I'm going to give the ball to me. I'm going to be the player coach and just stay with what's been working for me. I haven't been involved in the Zooms. I haven't been involved in any of those that have had these ridiculous runs and helped elevate the NASDAQ. I still like themes, and the theme that I'm most favorably impressed by this year and next year, and we haven't really even seen the uptake, is 5G. So that's technology. But it's not just technology. It's, other tech, it's not just 5G technology. It's other technology that makes us more productive, that makes us more efficient. The labor losses that we've seen, unfortunately, a lot of them are, gonna, are not going to be replaced because we've gone more to technology. We've been forced to, and we're seeing what it does. So I think that works. To Joe's point, I do think some industrials will work as well. That's why I'm there. So there are still values under the market, and just because I'm going to dust off an old phrase, I don't really care where stocks have come from. I only care where they're going to. Um, I'm not a fan of energy. I'll disagree. Joe and I agree with a lot of stuff. I'm not a fan of energy. I just don't like being in partnership with uh, Saudi Arabia, with Russia, not having control over it, and with having private equity with some limited pool that keeps funding these companies that should go bankrupt. So I'm staying with what got me here, and I'm going to continue to be there and add to it as we go through 2021, as well as clean energy. Shan, I mean, maybe That's it's going not, to continue to work. Maybe it's, yeah, maybe it's not the easiest thing, Shan, to, to think about where the puck's going. You know, we're thinking about a recovery. We're thinking about the other side of the vaccine. You've had technology, which is dramatically outperformed, yet you've had those recovery and cyclical stocks do really well of late. I think there are some out there who are confused about where the puck is going. You have, you have some names that you like that tell interesting stories to me. You like Alibaba, which is interesting given the news of late. J.P. Morgan, given where the banks have been and relative to where interest rates are. Salesforce, that's a big growthy name with a high multiple. But then you like IBM as well from the cyclical side. Talk to me. So I couldn't agree with Joe Moore. I think the lines between value and growth, cyclicals and defensives are going to be much blurrier next year. And honestly, that speaks to how we invest in our portfolios. So, you know, I think the trading we've seen over the last month or so has continued to be Zoom one day and, you know, Delta the next day. And I think that in the middle there are names such as the ones that you just mentioned. If you think about uh, Salesforce, CRM, you look at the Slack acquisition, you look at the Tableau acquisition, they're setting themselves up to perhaps not deliver 20 plus percent revenue growth every year for the next five years. But the earnings and the, mar the margin expansion should, should allow them to continue to, to deliver earnings at that level. And so is it expensive? Is it one of these big tech stocks? Absolutely, but it's survived and it's thrived in this world and it will in a post-pandemic world as well. And then you look at something like IBM. It's a turnaround story. It's all about AI, it's about hybrid computing. It's an opportunity to invest in the technology sector without having to hold your nose from a valuation perspective and get a nice dividend on the way out. And then you look on the flip side of that in healthcare, for instance, with something like Stryker. We've seen procedures come way down this year and people are gonna go back to the doctor. They're gonna have procedures. We're gonna see the usage of Stryker's products. 
And, you know, to be honest with you, we're also going to see a change in the efficiency of healthcare and how it's delivered. And so we're looking at those companies in the middle. I don't want to make a binary call on when that inflection point of the release of pent up demand from the U.S. consumer in the second half of next year, when I should get into hotel stocks, when I should get into travel stocks. Right now, in building my portfolio, I see some value, some growth, some cyclical, some defensive, and I see it building a portfolio that I can put on the court going forward and know that they can get to the end of the game. All right, DGSF, I almost feel like you've got a tale of two, two halves, right? You've got two markets to deal with. You have a near-term market. Are we going to have a correction in the early part of, of 2021? What's going to happen in the runoffs in the very early part of 2021? But after that, once you get enough people vaccinated and once you can really get on the road to recovery, then you have the potential of having another market. Do, do you see it that way, broken up into almost two parts? Well, Scott, I do. And so ultimately what we're looking at then is let's talk about first the, um, the runoffs in Georgia uh, that may have a, a very short term impact on the markets. You know, what I'm excited about in Georgia is the engagement of the voters. And while it may give some short-term volatility to the markets, I think this is the best thing for our democracy. So, uh, and what I see is that what's good for the democracy is gonna be good long-term for the markets. And so we should, we will have some short-term volatility, but then we're going to see, and we may also have a pullback first half of the year. But what we're seeing is that we're gonna finish uh, 2021 uh, at a more positive level. And to go back to Joe's analysis of the uh, basketball game, I'm at my chalkboard looking at who does, where does the market expect to go? It's been technology all this time. We're actually looking at the overall team and say, okay, what are the themes and what type of player do I need to go out there to do as well as technology did in 2020? And those themes are going to be around the ESG. It's, uh, it's going to be around the uh, millennials and also AI. So that's what we see going into 2021. Hey, Pete, I'm not sure if you can hear me because I lost my own audio for a second, but okay. I'm just going to go on the assumption that you can. You can hear me okay. Okay, I see you putting your thumb up, so thank you for that um, as we deal with all this remote uh, stuff. I came to you last and I did it on purpose because I wanted to get everybody's perspective and then sort of circle around to you to play off of what your brother told us yesterday, where, and I'm sure you obviously see the, the same things, um, this tremendous put buying, um, specifically in the queues, Pete, for you know, looking for a near-term pullback. And we heard from Thomas Petterfee yesterday too, the head of Interactive Brokers, who said for the first time in the history of, of their firm, options trades were, were net short. So there appear to be a lot of short-term bets to the downside, I expected you to tell me something similar today. The reason I came to you last yeah. is because I see that you've seen a pretty good spy trade on the SPYs for calls mm -hmm. into February. Right. And I think what we're seeing here, Scott, is when you, when, when you look at a, a trade like the cues that John was defining yesterday, that, that brings me back to the days where you're looking for protection. Why would you buy Q protection right now? Well, when you've got the volatility index down here towards 22, 23, we're talking the low end of what we've seen through uh, 2020, right? So it's an opportunity to do that right now. You talk about protection. We talk about protection all the time. Why wouldn't you want to protect your portfolio when you're seeing the NASDAQ hit 
new highs, all-time highs, almost every single day for the last week or two. It's been an extraordinary run. We know that. Apple and Microsoft, they did pause, and now all of a sudden you've seen this acceleration again to the upside out of some of the big names, along with some of the other names as well. But I think, Scott, what we're seeing is the spider trade uh, that, that actually hit yesterday really, really late, the very end of the day, and they're rolling a position. In other words, somebody who bought back in October, they bought January calls. Those have ex absolutely exploded to the upside. And so now they want to take that off, take some profits, put that to the side. It's still inexpensive, not just from the standpoint, because volatility works the same way with calls and puts. So now I think that's a great opportunity to try to play the short term and see if we're going to have any kind of a rise like we are seeing right now. Is there going to be more of a melt up before maybe we pause and they were buying February upside calls the 382 calls today or, or late yesterday about 34,000 of those were bought so I, I, I'm not disagreeing with the idea that hey people are looking out there but I just the, the part that I would disagree with is I don't think they're buying those puts uh, because they're negative I think they're buying those puts because they want protection at very low levels and it makes a whole lot of sense to me that people would want to do that with the cues and I like what we're seeing in the spiders uh, and the one last thing I would say Scott is when you look across all these various areas and I heard everybody's take on this whole thing I think that there are spots where we we have absolute positions those are my stock positions that I've got but there's a lot of trading going on these this is a record year absolutely explosive year not just a record year but it, it is unbelievable how much bigger volumes are for what we're seeing every single day even the half day last week where we still traded 21 million contracts Scott the volumes are there the participation is there and it's it's something that's been happening more and more 2018 2019 now 2020 we are seeing that participation in the markets not just from the stock side of things where things have kind of slowed down but on the derivative side and some of it is positioning with deep in the money calls that act just like stock or you've got obviously the out of the money and the at the money calls where people are speculating for upside and they're getting a, a pretty nice run this year in 2020. Now, I hear you on the, the hedging perspective, but to be clear, yeah. I mean, your brother is fairly negative in the near term, right? Not only, not only is he seeing sort of what he, he saw in the, in the options market in his own book, <laughs> Pete, you know, he's, yeah. he's selling a little bit of Microsoft. He's selling a little bit of Facebook. He's right. selling a little bit of Netflix. In fact, he told us the only thing that he wasn't touching at all was Apple. So, I mean, there is a, you know, somewhat of a negative bias on where we may go in the near term. Oh. And there, there are people like Tom Lee who think we may go down in the near term, but that we're going to have a big boom in the second half. Right. And I think that what, what you're talking about there, Scott, is John just showing discipline. Look at where Microsoft was just even two months ago, three months ago. It's made a nice move to the upside. Obviously, year to date, it's been unbelievable, especially off of those lows. So a lot of names are in that category and there's a lot of discipline being taken there. I think by a lot of people, I do something a little bit different than John, where I've taken advantage of some of the volatility when we've had it. We still have some volatility, implied volatility in a lot of these big name uh, stocks like Apple, like Microsoft. Amazons of the world where if you own the stock selling premium against it has been my strategy for the majority of this year so I, I, I'm, I'm a little that's been my discipline side John's taking some some off mm -hmm. that's his discipline side but I, I am not I quite you. as negative as John but I would say this I do think we see a pullback 
at some point in time. I just think it's inevitable. We've had this sprint to the upside since November, so I, I, I'm not disagreeing necessarily with John. I just want to play the markets that are in front of me now because they're giving us an opportunity every single day. I hear you. I hear you. Bir birds of a feather don't always fly together, Pete. I hear you. <laughs> your, your point's well taken. Steve, it brings me back yes. to you. You know, when we look ahead and, and sort of, you know, try and gauge what sectors are going to be the best performers, we do that CNBC exclusive survey every year where we talk to you guys. We ask for your opinions on, on what sectors you think are going to, to lead and lag, and our contributors participate in that as, as well. What sectors do, will do the best under a first term of, uh, of President Biden? Okay, the first term. Discretionary gets 49%, industrials 46 financials 44 Tech not on that list. And that plays into the reopening and the recovery and the rebuilding of the economy story, Steve, doesn't it? It does. But I think the lines have been really blurred between technology and industrial. Because industrial now, at least some of the core names, industrial is a very far-reaching sector. Airlines are industrial, for example, in the S&P. But the lines have gotten blurred, and right now you can't have cars without chips. So you still have this technology, which is going to move. Consumer discretionary, I think you'll see that, of course, because as you get the vaccine rolled out, uh, I don't know if it's going to be in Biden's first 100 days, which is typically the honeymoon period, but you'll see discretionary, consumer discretionary really skyrocket because who doesn't want to get out of their house? Who doesn't want to go eat in a restaurant, go shopping directly in stores, even though we've seen a big uptick online? But those to me are, are transitional and you're going to come back to what's been working. So I do think the right strategy is to, nothing goes up in a straight line, is to trade around positions. And despite the low volatility, as Pete points out, you still have these days where you see these stocks like skyrocket and you can take a little off. You see them drop precipitously, you know, 10 percent. And I disagree that it's gone straight up because we've seen these pullbacks of 10 percent or more just in the last few months. But V-shaped recoveries. So unless you want to pay taxes and unless you want to drive yourself crazy and try to guess which direction the market's going to go in today or tomorrow, you want to stay pretty much long and get rid of the excesses that become supremely overvalued. But financials are sure, doing okay, but they're not going to do great. There are, you know, there's a good debate, uh, especially in the industrial space, as to what is overvalued or fairly valued. You know, Joe, I'll, I'll come to you for that because Caterpillar is a name that, that comes to mind because of a call that was made today over at Baird. It was named a top 2021 idea. The price target goes to $220 from 206 They were already positive on the stock. They're simply just reiterating their outperform rating. That stock trades at a, at a 26 times forward P.E. There are other industrial stocks in that stratosphere. General Electric is 37 times. Honeywell is 27 times, which Shannon owns, which, Joe, I think you did own. Maybe you still do. Cintas, which you just mentioned to us before, is at the top of that heap. It's, it's 38 times. So I'm, I'm wondering what you think about the cat call, but, but also this notion that some of these industrials are now overvalued. Well, I, I think the exposure that you want for the industrial sector correlates with a lower dollar and a capex recovery that is really being stimulated by global manufacturing that is surprising in its resiliency. And I think Stephanie Link has done a very good job 
talking about that. So that's where I want my exposure. Uh, Caterpillar is a name that I owned for the recovery in global manufacturing for the better part of 2020. I shifted out of that back into Honeywell because I wanted a more qualitative balance sheet. I wanted uh, the balance sheet that Honeywell has, which has a better debt-to-equity ratio at 1.23 versus Caterpillar, which is 1.74. So I I think that's important. Um, Looking at the sectors real quick, going back to your thoughts with President-elect Biden, I would add materials as a sector that I believe uh, should also be included to do well uh, in addition to industrials. Yeah. Degas, what about industrials? Do, do you still find value there, or has the, the, the best already been taken off the table? No, Scott, I see some value here because, and what we do is that we look at valuation uh, from a sector and industry perspective. And so what, what we're seeing now is that the free cash flow to enterprise value for uh, some names that, uh, that were mentioned here on the industrial side, UPS, CSX, uh, Railroad, and obviously the delivery company, they are actually fairly valued at these levels. So this is a good entry point for those companies. We have not missed a train on those type of companies, and we see that as a fair value on those names. All right. That brings me, Pete and Shannon, to you. Because now I want to talk about Intel and I want to talk about what Dan Loeb wants Intel to do. And it was so interesting, Pete. I wish you were with us yesterday because it was just a day after we were joking about Intel and the fact that you were still holding that stock and I think still believing in that story. Now, maybe, you know, Dan Loeb is believing in the story, too, if they do what he wants them to do. And that is consider their strategic alternatives. We suggest the board retain a reputable investment advisor, he says, to evaluate their strategic alternatives. Why? Well, they've lost talent, they've lost market share, uh, and the stock has dramatically underperformed competitors like AMD. If you need any evidence of that, year-to-date, Intel down 18.5%, AMD up 100%. So Pete first, then Shannon, because Pete still has it. Shannon got rid of it a while ago, doesn't want anything to do with it. Pete, what do you think? (laughs) <laughs> well, I, I obviously agree with Dan Lowe, but I think the issues are uh, everything that he points out makes a lot of sense to me in this particular case. And I, I know he's been aggressive with companies in the past and obviously shaking it up now with Intel. It makes total sense to me, Scott. There, there is no reason for them to continue to have multiple quarters where they are missing, multiple quarters where they're not delivering what they had essentially promised they're going to be able to deliver. And and because of that, somebody needs to hold them accountable. That's one of the things that I've been talking about for a while now. And this even goes back to originally when, uh, not to be too offensive towards the CEO, but I felt like there were other candidates within Intel that would be better fits for Intel going into the future. Similarly to what we had seen happen with Microsoft, when it was ludicrous to hear people talking about different uh, CEOs potentially being the head of Microsoft, when it was very, very clear it was Satya Nadella was the right guy. He was in the right spot of the company to make this company be Microsoft once again. And that's exactly what he's been able to accomplish. We aren't seeing that with Intel. We're seeing a company that's failing. It feels a little bit like IBM where it's multiple quarters and then potentially multiple years of just sort of 
grinding. And I think a guy like Dan Loeb going in there and shaking things up, it makes a lot of sense. And obviously, with billion-plus-dollar investment, I believe he's got in Intel at this point in time. I think that speaks for itself. He believes in the company. He believes there's something there. But there's got to be changes, and I 100% agree. But you, you think that this can be turned around? It's not, even if they do everything that Mr. Loeb wants them to do, it's still going to be mm-hmm. a long turnaround, right? You're not going to change the brain drain overnight. You're not going to change the lack of market share that they've given up to Lisa Sue and AMD. But yet you've stuck with the story. Maybe you have some remorse in the fact that you've done that. But do you think that the story can be turned? Absolutely, I do. And that, but but it, it's, it's not going to be easy, Scott. It is going to be challenging, and they are going to have to make some really difficult decisions. And if, if somebody like Dan Loeb and maybe some others get in there and want to have a, a part of this, because I do think that we've got the framework there still. That's why I've still been holding on to the stock. Now, the disappointments have absolutely been adding up to, to a point where there are absolute frustration, but that doesn't mean there's not something there. It's very similar to me, like I said, with IBM, that acquisition of Red Hat, I think, positioned IBM into the future and and, and really could be something very, very meaningful for the company. It doesn't happen overnight, but it's something into the future that I think really can change things. And I think they're already starting that. That's what I see for Intel in the future. Yeah, and I mentioned Shannon previously owned it. That was three years ago. So she got off that train a long time ago. We're going to take a quick break. We'll come back. We've got bullish calls today on MasterCard, on Applied Materials, a number of other names like FedEx. We'll talk about that debate if there's still room to run for those names. There you take a look at those three. We are back right after this. You can always watch or listen to us live, too, on the go on the CNBC app. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier. Because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit ODFL.com. Old Dominion. Helping the world keep promises. I'm Morgan Brennan, and here's your CNBC News update at this hour. In Houston, police found four people dead after receiving a call from a woman claiming she had been shot. Officers say an unknown suspect fired at them when they approached the woman's residence. When police entered the home, they found two men and one woman dead. One is believed to be the suspect. More than a year before a bomb went off in downtown Nashville, the bomber's girlfriend warned police that he was building explosives in his RV. Police visited Anthony Warner's home but did not speak with him or look inside the RV. In Britain, Prime Minister Boris Johnson has signed the Brexit trade deal with the European Union. This just an hour after the House of Commons overwhelmingly approved the deal. And the NBA posting a big surge in ratings for the first four days of the season. Viewership on TNT, ESPN and ABC is up 67 percent from last year. That's the highest levels since 2012. Scott, back to you. All right, Morgan, thank you so much. We are tracking another big name in the hedge fund world. We talked about Dan Loeb a little bit earlier, but another hedge fund heavy is making news. Leslie Picker following the money, his money, and a lot of it made this year, Leslie Picker. (laughs) That is right, Scott. Bill Ackman is on pace to notch returns of nearly 70% this year, making his Pershing Square one of the best performing hedge funds of 2020. And 
his best year ever. Those gains were driven by late February and early March head in the credit default swap index markets over concerns about the pandemic. Subsequently, Ackman unwound those hedges for a $2.6 billion profit, which he then plowed back into equities. His portfolio includes some companies that have been impacted by the shutdowns, including restaurant brands and Hilton, but others like Chipotle, Starbucks, Agilent Technologies and Lowe's have outperformed uh, during this year. He also raised a record $4 billion back to find a future acquisition. It's worth noting that this year's returns follow last year's gains of nearly 60%, putting the firm well above its high watermark to collect incentive fees, although uh, some losses in the years preceding that, Scott. Yeah, but uh, on the comeback trail and then some. Mm-hmm. Leslie, thank you. That's Leslie Picker. Uh, Joe? You want to uh, you want to weigh in on this comeback that we've witnessed from Bill Ackman? Sure, I would appreciate that. And congratulations to Bill on what has been a a very solid year for his performance. But overall, human hedge funds for the very first time in many years are outperforming quants. And I think it speaks to the environment. The average volatility for VIX, uh, Pete, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's in the high 20s, somewhere around 28, 29 in 2020. If you go back and you look at the period from 2010 to 2019, I think the average is somewhere about 15 or 16. So when you have that heightened volatility scenario, and in Q1, if you're a quant fund in Q1, you are under-hedged. Here comes this, uh, this avalanche of volatility in Q2. You're unhedged. Now the volatility remains in place, and in Q2, guess what you do? You now overhedge at the very moment where human hedge funds are acquirers and accepting risk and putting on positions once again. And I think that's why we saw the outperformance, and I think that's why going forward, as long as volatility stays high, you're going to see continued outperformance on the part of the human hedge funds. You know, Steve Weiss, a lot of people wrote Mr. Ackman off. Um, that's just a fact. You were not one of them because I can recall many times on this program when we talked about Ackman in the, in the midst of his early comeback where you thought he would make it back. And in fact, he is well on the way to doing just that. Yeah, so things I like about Bill, number one, that concentrated portfolios have been proven to lead to greater returns. So as Warren Buffett says, you don't diversify away your alpha, uh, number one. Number two, I felt that way because he said, look, I'm tired of the press. It's a major distraction. I think we all thought that. And when you go out so visibly, for example, on a short like Herbalife, it's difficult to discern when I invest in hedge funds uh, on behalf of Tepper and, and others in single family offices, we always watch out for ego. And at one point, Bill's ego got the best of him. So you put out a 300-page report on why you're short Herbalife, and then you got to stay with it, and you got to stay with it, and the ego becomes greater. So when he changed, when he pivoted and said, you know what, I'm going to take a more laid-back approach, a less public approach, and focus on the research and picking a few good names, then to me it was apparent. This guy didn't turn dumb overnight. He was brilliant, brilliant investor before, and so he's done quite well. Yeah, no, he has. Um, we, we, we wish him well. Uh, let's talk about some of the moves you guys are making, too. Um, Degas, I want you to tell us about something, a new strategy that you just launched. We didn't get into it 
in our A block today, but I do want to do it now. You launched the Decatur Element Strategy. Can you tell us what that is? Speaking of concentrated strategies, the likes of which we were just talking about for Bill Ackman. Yes, thank you, Scott. So yeah, we just launched, uh, based off a client request, a concentrated strategy. And this goes back to what Steve was talking about in that we see a lot of uh, opportunities here as we look at what occurred in 2020 and what we see will continue to occur. One is that we have a, a very disruptive market. We have several companies that have only been in existence less than three years. Typically what we look at valuations and profitability, we look for a three year track record. But we had to change that particular look and this allows us to do that because we're going to be very concentrated. We're going to be looking for those companies that are going to be disruptive. One, we're going to be also looking for those companies that will provide growth to the strategy. And then lastly, we're going to be focusing on the infrastructure related companies. And so and and the overall theme here is that one, how will the millennial purchasing power impact those particular uh, focus areas? How will the uh, artificial intelligence impact what we're going what we'll see going forward, which we think is a long term trend? And lastly, the environmental social governance aspect of what has happened to markets. Uh, you know, one example is uh, change healthcare. What they're doing is a very interesting. They came uh, to, uh, they actually were founded in 2016 uh, with a, a partnership with McKinsey. And then in 2019, they became very, they became independent from McKinsey. And they've only been public since uh, uh, less than a year. They went public in 2019. And they've already hit profitability. Uh, which is outstanding for that type of company. But what they do is that they use artificial intelligence and machine learning to focus on the inefficiencies of the healthcare. We've talked a lot about healthcare and the delivery of healthcare is very fragmented in the United States. So they're focusing this type of artificial intelligence technology on making it more efficient. And we think this is a big win for this particular company. And so those are the type of companies that we are looking at uh, in this particular strategy. All right, good stuff, good to hear that. Pete, coming to you, you added Macy's calls, you added TJX calls, talk to me. Yeah, you know what, Scott, I think sometimes there are, are retail names that you can absolutely trade, Macy's be, definitely being one of those names. Do I believe in this company if, as far as like the longer term? Probably not, because I just think they have too many issues right now and they've been struggling to be able to correct those issues. So do I think that it can make a move to the upside? Sure I do. So, um, you know, when you look at short interest, you look at a lot of different other things. That's a trade for me. TJX, on the other hand, love this name. I've talked about this name. It seems like forever. I think that the, what they do in the, in this, in the world of retail, um, there is competition, of course, but I think they're the winner when it comes to that. They're, they're the apple of the retail space in terms of how they react to the rest of the competition that's out there. So I think that this is a name that uh, I love the options that I was seeing in there. So that prompted me to decide to put a position on. I think this is a name that very easily can continue to go to the upside. It's already recovered and then some, but I think it's a name that can easily get back up into the mid-70s. Okay. Uh, there's TJX there, up uh, just shy of 1%, which brings me to Weiss, because Weiss, I'm confused. You confuse me. You, you sold BABA <laughs> the other day, right before the bad news hit. The stock went down. I congratulated you on the timing of that, and I looked down today, and you, you had texted me earlier and said that you bought some BABA back. And I was like, what? Well, why'd you do that? <laughs> 
Well, I think Bob is uninvestable in the longer term. And I sold the stock at around 260, saw an opportunity to get back into it as a trade, purely as a trade. Pull up a chair and I'll tell you about Jack Ma. Jack Ma acquired this company that I was involved in, ICANG, Chinese healthcare company. He acquired through Baba and also personally. So you can't trust Jack Ma. If it's a great company, buy it all with Alibaba. Don't usurp a corporate opportunity by buying it yourself as well. Additionally, the fact that the Chinese are taking more of an interest, a communist <coughs> country that's taking more of an interest in the company and ownership doesn't mean it's going to drive their company to the tops of capitalism. It's going to be less. But I'm counting on the people that come well, you're in just, you're and making see a the, You're making the case for why would you even third. play... You're making the case. Why would oh, you even boy. play because in the I sandbox? I, There's like 10,000 other stocks. Oh, I'm going to be there a very yep. short time, already making money on the trade. But I had some excess capital, and I see an opportunity, so I'm buying it for a trade. As I said, I don't think Chinese right. companies, and I've sued them in court in Cayman, are sustainable quality investments for anybody. And we saw that with Baba. All right. But Shannon, it's going to go up. I know you I'm want to take momentum, the other side. The Robin Hood people. Well, Shannon's not a Robin Hood trader. She's thinking of it as a big play in 21. Shannon, talk to him. Yeah, well, good I, luck with that. <laughs> well, Steve and I have disagreed on this one a few times, so um, I appreciate the opportunity. But I, I, I do think, I mean, I, I put out a note the other day. Um, I still think that this, if you look at this as, as a priceable externality in the price of the stock, and you factor this in over the course of the next several years, is, our, is the Chinese government going to want to um, get some concessions from Alibaba, particularly as it relates to Ant Group? Absolutely. Is it going to create some volatility in the stock over the next couple of quarters? Absolutely. Does that offer you a buying opportunity to buy what is essentially the backbone of e-commerce in China, the largest consumer market in the world, um, for the next several years? Absolutely, once again. And so I, I understand the risk here. However, I look at this as the Chinese government in their five-year plan most recently has talked about making sure that the innovation economy is rooted in China. Alibaba represents that as far as it relates to cloud services. And so I just don't see this as being a protracted issue. Um, I think that there will be some near-term stress on the stock. But if I look at the way that we've seen Amazon grow, I, look, I liken that to what I expect out of Alibaba with perhaps even more reach into the Chinese consumer economy. And so I would be, I would be buying it on dips for the long term. Yeah. Well, that was good. I mean, Weiss confuses me about a lot of things. So, I mean, this one, just put it on the list. Put it somewhere on the list. Scott, Stay with us. It's, it's, Pete Scott, has unusual activity next. That's a low next. bar you're presenting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I knew you were going to have a comeback, which, which is why I was trying to quickly go to break. Pete's unusual activities next. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. 
This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. We're back. Pete, unusual activity. What do you have for us today? All right. I've been talking about materials for the last couple of months, Scott, and we, we talk about energy materials, and, and that's in the place to be. I prefer that over industrials for sure right now because I think that there's still much more upside. So I look at Freeport McMoran, which hit twice today already, and they were buying out there in February. The February 29 strike calls, they bought 19,000 of these between a dollar and a dollar and a quarter. Stock was trading around 2630 uh, at the time. This is a stock that's been on fire. It's been moving to the upside, and it looks like somebody seems to think that this is not over yet. There's still more upside to come. Some big trading in there, and the fact that they hit twice today is really interesting. I got a second one for you. TJ Maxx, we just got done talking about it. What got me in that trade was the buying of 3,500 of these February 67.5 calls. Stock was just a little bit above that. So it's interesting to see somebody buying something that's just in the money calls, uh, and they bought 3,500 of those. That tells me that somebody wants to have leverage for a move to the upside. I like that. I bought those calls as well. All right. Good stuff. Thank you for that, Pete. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back. I've got calls to talk about on MasterCard. We'll get the trade on that. Applied Materials and FedEx. We'll do it next. Welcome back. We have some bullish price target changes today. As I mentioned before the break, let's start MasterCard. The target there goes to 397 from 384. That's at Stevens. And we're going to have a little debate here because, Degas, you own MasterCard, whereas Shannon says Visa is one of her top picks for 2021. Degas, you first. Then, Shannon, you make your pitch for Visa. Well, first of all, we like Visa because of the recent acquisition of Facicity, which is a handheld uh, artificial intelligence machine learning application that first started off with budgeting, but now they have expanded out to lending and also financial institutions. And just think about this, the consumer is in control of the privacy of their information. If you want it to be linked to your mortgage and make it easier for you to apply, it can do that. And so we really like this. MasterCard is also reaching out and impacting with their goal by 2025 of getting 500 million people globally that are unbanked and underbanked to be customers. That's a driver. Plus, when you look at the profitability from a return on invested capital, they're in the top uh, decile for we look at financial institutions. And we think that at these levels, we measure it by earnings yield is fairly valued. So we like MasterCard relative to Visa. Visa is good, but we like MasterCard. All right, Shan, why is Visa one of your top picks for 21? We just think that Visa is going to continue to grow their share, frankly, versus MasterCard. We think the cash-to-card conversion is going to continue and be accelerated by the pandemic uh, situation we've experienced this year. Um, and for me, I just want the big heavy in the space. I think they're going to benefit from the same things that Degas just talked about for MasterCard, but I want the top player in the space. 
All right, let's talk applied materials. Top semi pick for 2021 conviction list. Price target goes to 110 from 82. That's over at Needham. You guys all need to get with the program because nobody owns it. Pete, what's up with that? You got Micron, you got Marvell, you don't have aim at Y. <laughs> yeah, and I should, Scott. I'm kicking myself. I've been in there. I got out. It was a trade for me, and I didn't stick with the trade, and so you're 100% right. But those are all, all these names are feeding different, different sides of the animal, and right now we're looking at names like I, I still think Micron is way too cheap. I think the 5G side of that is, is underappreciated. Uh, so I think there are other names that actually can accelerate maybe faster than applied materials. And let me quickly, just before we go, FedEx, I mentioned it earlier, just to let you know, price target goes to 305 Argus, but Weiss owns UPS, Pete owns UPS, Degas owns UPS, Shannon recently sold UPS, so I got a lot of people still on board with UPS over FedEx. We're back after this, talking Treasury yields moving higher on the second to last trading day of 2020. We'll find out from the futures traders how they're playing it. We'll do that next. Let's do the futures outlook now. The 10-year Treasury yield briefly jumping above 95 basis points. Stocks move higher. Jeff Kilberg joins us now for more on that move. All right, we're still waiting, Jeff, for 1% on the 10-year. Are we going to get it? If so, when? Is that your trade? You will continue to wait, Judge. It's very interesting. Quite rainbound in the 10-year note. We've talked about it being tethered to 90 basis points. So I see significant resistance at 1%. Therefore, as those yields are going to go up a little bit higher, I want to be a buyer in the 10-year March futures contract. I want to be a buyer at 137.16. Looking for a full point move higher, which means yields will go back down to that tethered area of 90 basis points. So my target's 138.16. However, I'm being mindful if we do spend some time above 1%, I'll be stopped out at 137 even. Risking 500 bucks, Judge, to make 1000 Okay. Alabama or Notre Dame? Go Irish. I love being underdogs. It's me. It's the surprise of the weekend, my friend. I knew your answer. I had to give you that little chance to make a plug anyway. Happy, healthy to you and your family. We'll see you on the other side. Happy New Year, pal. All right. Thanks, buddy. That's Jeff Kilberg. Final trades coming up next. All right. Let's do final trades. Degas, you're up first. Cadence Design System, electronic process, benefiting from Internet of Things. Okay. Shan? Keysight Technologies. I think Steve might like this one, too. Uh, 5G, uh, EV, industrial automation, and chance to grow margins through increased software and services revenue. All right. Steve? Loved it for a long time. Come to another one I love. Give up that Baba and go to Jumia. No communist overlords and faster growth. All right, let's make it quick. Pete, then Joe. Finishing up with sports and Joe's early analogy, Under Armour. It's going higher, Scott. Okay. Oh, well, it looks like Joe froze. That's unfortunate. Happy New Year, everybody. Happy and healthy. I'll see you on the other side. That does it for us. Thanks for, thanks for watching. The Exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX. 
Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.